day like this, you have to make adjustments. And uh, when you see the weather report, you don't know what to expect. And when you're a church like us that, that really serves a region that goes from uh, you know, eastern Oklahoma to both sides of Interstate 40 and then all the way over uh, n- nearly to Russellville, you, you, you serve a region and, and everybody's going to have different weather patterns. And so you make adjustments. And I'm always interested in seeing how those adjustments play out. Sometimes we call one another and we ask one another, hey, you've got the four-wheel drive. Can I have a ride to worship this morning? We make compromises, and I love to see it. People who would never think of wearing boots to worship wear boots. Big, fuzzy, sheepskin boots they wear, you know, where normally they'd be wearing uh, fine footwear. People trade in silks and... uh, you know, finer fabrics for fleece. Um, few of you even show up in your Carhartt overalls, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting to see the compromises and the adjustments that are made. Why? Because you have to. Somebody's going to slip on the ice. It's 30 degrees below zero out there. It's blizzard church, you know, as Rick said. Well, and so we end up having this kind of winter wonderland ski lodge church, uh, and, and, and I, like, I like that part of it. You know why I like that part of it? Because we get back to what really matters. We don't just follow the program, we do what's appropriate. And one of the things that I hope you're doing today, too, is you've looked around you and you see that the crowd's a little thinner, and we understand why. That doesn't mean you shouldn't check on the folks who are missing today. Doesn't mean you ought to give them a call. I mean, you you should give them a call. You should give them a call. You should say, hey, is everything okay out your way? They're probably all right. We hope they're all right. But why don't we do this on other Sundays as well? Why is it that on other Sundays we ignore the gaps in the Pew neighborhoods? Why is it on other Sundays... Uh, the boots and the Carhartt overalls are somehow inappropriate. People are gathered in the name of the Lord to come gather around Him and to fellowship with one another. Praise be to God. I mean, what, 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 more, what more do you need? Um, I'm not worried about some slippery slope, okay? And you shouldn't be either. I, I, I mean, theologically, out there, yeah, there may be a slippery slope and you need to watch out, okay? You're going to hurt something. So think about days like this because I think they make us do a little bit of worship improv that keep us from becoming the sort of ritualistic cargo cults that move the objects around on the table to invoke the blessings of the invisible gods. And we don't just go through ritualistic things that have no meaning, but we stop and we pay attention to how worship really comes down to relationship with God relationship with one another, and this is a special time and place of assembly, more a time than a place, okay? It's the Lord's day, and we've been called to His supper, but this has meaning not just for this moment, but for how we're going to conduct ourselves for the rest of the week, and for the rest of our lives. I choose to believe that that's what our shepherds were getting at last week and I hope you were here last week when our shepherds shared their vision and their dreams and they got very specific when they went from the broad vision to this 
special time of assembly, this Lord's Day. And one of the questions that was proposed was, how do we encourage an attitude, a behavior among the members? How do we create an atmosphere that is more, and you have four words, friendly, inviting, intimate, and participatory. Now, what they're getting at is not how do you set up a program and a schedule, although that might be part of it, but ultimately, how do you work on the people and the culture? How do we work on us? How do we shape our expectations, and how do we shape our behaviors? Knowing that those two often go together, behavior and attitude, do, they have something to do with one another. Attitude shapes behavior. Behavior can shape attitude. So I think that our shepherds have started us on a discussion that I know we're going to be involved in during the month of January. Uh, Because you will note on the front of your, um, uh, you'll note on the front of your bulletin, you've got a logo like this. Last April, we did Talk It Up. And it was encouraging. Because we we had a, uh, we had like a picnic meal. We all went to the gym. We, 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 We got... Um, hot dogs and, and sandwiches or something, and, and, then, and then we went and, uh, and we, we gathered around in small groups, and we talked to our shepherds, and we talked to one another, and we encouraged one another with different ideas, and some of the discussions from April of 2014 are still blessing us now. We've learned a lot. They're still in effect. It's still helping us. We're going to do the same thing at the end of this month, Lord willing. And let's pray for good weather that we'll be able to have a full crowd. I want you to be encouraging and inviting and encourage others to be there. Maybe one of the reasons that those bullet points turned out to be hashtags, which was kind of a happy accident, is because those of you who use social media know that a hashtag is the way you can start a trend. You know, by by the way, back in my day, you're going, some of y'all are going, hashtags? That's what you serve with ham and eggs, right? Okay, yeah, I know. But uh, these days, that's a hashtag. I know, back in my day, that was a number sign. And, um, and I, I'm not too bright, but I know that F, I, and I are not numbers. And uh, not even for the Romans. Well, I is. But the, uh, you get the idea. I'm making you pay attention. They start trends. That's what that little symbol does on social media. Let's use it not only in media, but let's use it in the real world, in the IRL, in real life. Let's use it to start trends. And between now and January 25, let's start thinking about this. The second part of that was, um, I, I know that, that Bob Knoll, uh, you know, and was, was the one speaking, and speaking on behalf of all of our shepherds, says, we want to be reaching out, and, and if you reach out in... in Figuratively, but in many ways, literally, the first step outside of our fellowship is across the campus. And if we can be creative with the way that we go over here, and and college students, those of you who were there Wednesday night, we talked about this. We talked about our pit crew, about praying, inviting, and and what? Telling, okay? And so we, we, we discuss those sort of things. They're talking about it, but we need to talk about it too. Because it's a partnership that we have. Anyway, I want to get you talking it up even now and encouraging others to be a part of this. Don't make any other plans if you can avoid it for January 25, okay? Uh, you know, Super Bowl's not till the next week, so let, let's, let's do this. And uh, let's do this on that Sunday. That's two Sundays from now. And uh, if you are interested in social media, 
you can, we, yeah, we have a Twitter feed, and we need to start using it more, and that's the address if you want to look at that. Um, we'll, we'll put more up about that later. But I love it that our shepherds started us on this path on the first Sunday of the new year. And they, they hit on the idea of shepherd, and, and from a sheep's eye view, I'd like to continue to reflect on that image of the shepherd. Because I think the image of the shepherd is one that is often overlooked. We're, we're, we're mostly urban people, okay? Even our farms can be high-tech these days. Um, we, uh, we, we don't live as close to the ground and as close to the earth as, as other cultures do and as other people did in times past. Um, we tell stories, but we, you know, even if we live on farms, we still had modern conveniences. Uh, I guess I did grow up on a farm, but you know, we were one of the first ones on our block to have an Atari um, because we didn't have a block. We were it. But anyway, the, um, uh, the shepherd image is one we may, have to kinda, we may have to do some translating and reacquire a bit. But I think we can understand it. And I don't think it's one that we need to chuck out by saying it's archaic and it doesn't work. The reason why is because Jesus claims this image as well. What you have in this little painting here, and you see a lot of little paintings like this. They're rather crude paintings in in early Christian art. Like in the first few centuries, you'll see this image of a shepherd, just just an ordinary person. And there'll be sheep. and, and, And sometimes... It's meant to represent Christ, and sometimes it's not. It just evokes the idea of a shepherd. All of those parables about shepherds, uh, all, all of those parables about separating sheep and goat and finding lost sheep and all that imagery of shepherd, shepherding that you find in the Bible. Sometimes it just invokes that in, in, in general. But one of the earliest images that you'll find to represent Jesus is not a cross or a crucifix or a king with a halo, but a shepherd. And sometimes you see something like this and you don't even think instantly that that's Jesus. And yet, that is the imagery that Jesus will use. Take a, I want to read to you from John 10. Jesus is is teaching. And there's a lot of statements in the New Testament that describe Jesus as the shepherd. Uh, Last week, Barry read to us from 1 Peter 5, and Peter calls Christ the chief shepherd. Uh, In 1 Peter chapter 2, he's called a shepherd. In Hebrews, he's called a shepherd. In Revelation, he's called a shepherd. But in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He claims it for himself. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He'll leave the sheep because they aren't his and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's merely hired. He has no real concern 
for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me, just as my Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, too, sheep that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may have it back again. No one can take my life from me. I lay down my life voluntarily, for I have the right to lay it down when I want to, and also the power to take it again, for my Father has given me this command. Jesus says, that he's the good shepherd. And when you think of this image, think about what it says about leadership because the shepherd speaks of a leadership. The image of the shepherd speaks of a leadership that the world often doesn't understand. Not only our world, but the world that was. When you think about ancient views of leadership, of God, you find out that even in the days of King David... There was going to be a very different image and idea of leadership among God's people. Just to recap the story for you, and you can go back and find it in the book of First and Second Samuel, but, but King Saul is the king. He's the tallest man in all of Israel. He is their hero. He is their champion. He's the biggest man on the block. He's the one that can fight. When the Spirit of the Lord consumes him, he goes after the evildoers, and yet... Saul takes advantage of that power, and he becomes more king than shepherd. He becomes more king than prophet. He becomes more king and ruler than true leader. And so God tells Samuel the prophet, he says, I want you to find me someone who's going to be a very different kind of king, and to find him, we're going to have to find someone who has a very different skill set. What kind of skill set is that, Samuel? says to God. Are we going to find somebody who maybe is you know, faster and has some ninja skills? Are we going to find somebody who's got an arsenal? Are we going to find somebody who's got some magic power? I mean, what are we going to look for? And God says, this, I know this didn't really happen in the Bible. It's my paraphrase. You understand? You with me? You with me? And so then God says, no, what we're going to find is we're going to find a shepherd. Now you and I hear that and we're like, of course. Someone who cares. Samuel would have heard that and he would have said, Oh, a shepherd? Why? A sh- shepherds are kids. They're, they're little. They're, you know, they're, they're adventurous. They, they have to be tough to survive. I get it, I get it. But they're, they're the lowest rung of the social order. I mean, they take care of people's livestock. They're, they're you know, they're not even to use our terminology, they're not even cowboys, okay? Uh, you know, at least cowboys, you know, kind of rough and tough and have a horse and a gun, you know, ropes. Shepherds have slings, which is not a very effective weapon, okay? But God says, no, we're going to have a shepherd because a shepherd's going to get it. A shepherd's going to be the kind of leader I want. And he finds David, and it's not just David's best qualities that make him qualified. It's because doing what he's doing, David has learned at the lower rung of society. In the wilds with his sheep, trying to protect him, David has learned to trust in a mighty God. And sure, David's a kid. 
Sure, David's young, but God and that kid are stronger than the most impressive giant, the most impressive tank, the most impressive arsenal of any nation on earth. And that's all God needs. And so a very different image of leadership is formed with David even when he becomes king. And if you stop and think about it, how different is that image of leadership, the good shepherd? How different is that than Pharaoh? Remember Pharaoh in Egypt? Pharaoh was a king and he was a god. That was his line from the propaganda office. That was his official government statement. Kings were select. Kings were special. They were royals. They were descended from the gods. And it wasn't just Egypt alone that did that. Many of the other nations would do that. They would claim some sort of divine lineage from the sun or from heaven. But in Israel, the king is a shepherd chosen by God. Now, now that's a very different view of leadership, not a privileged royal. Even in the New Testament age, it's different than the Roman upper class where you had special elite people who were qualified to serve. And I tell you, I think this imagery even flies in the face of the conventional wisdom of our day and age, which let's be honest, we are sometimes more influenced by that conventional wisdom than we care to admit. And a shepherd is not the same thing as a high-priced executive. A shepherd is not the same thing as someone of high military rank. A shepherd is not the same thing as someone with the best administrative skills. Although shepherds could have good administrative skills. And, And our term elder has often, which is a biblical term by the way, but it has too often been infused with some of these ideas that are not biblical. And this is simply a wake-up call to us to pay attention, to make sure that we're understanding what that term means biblically. A few years ago, uh, back in the late 1940s and 50s, a, um, uh, uh, there was a writer who did some work on the, on the cultures of the Bible. And he wanted to know what they meant by that term elder. Which, by the way, elder is an English term. That's not the term you find in the Bible. They use the term in Greek, they use presbyteros. Well, what does that mean? You know, um, it, we translate it as elder. It means something. But what did it mean? So he would go to these, these, these groups that were a lot like the, 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 the Middle Eastern Palestinian groups where, where Judaism and Christianity grew up, and he would ask them, What's an elder in your community? And it was often the, the wise person, the, 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 the gentle person, the, the person of wisdom, the person who had authority by virtue of one's life experiences in the community. And so the next question that the writer asked was, he said, how do you know when someone's an elder? In other words, how do you choose them? How do you name them? How do you, as we often say, how do you install an elder? And... Uh, which is always an odd term, you know, because it makes elders sound like they're appliances. And, uh, and, and we don't want that. But um, the, um, the, so he would ask them that question, how do, you, how do you find out when someone's an elder? How do you know? That question always stunned the group, and they would look at each other and look at him, and they'd go, we don't know how somebody becomes an elder, but when they are an elder, we know it. See? There's some wisdom. There's some wisdom there, and there's an understanding. And 
I think a lot of that comes about because of the way you see shepherds interact with their little community, and it's another reason why the shepherd image is good. In fact, I wonder if even in the first century, Peter is trying to redeem the idea of elder and shepherd. And he's trying, because even in the Roman world, there are certain ideas about who ought to be in charge and who deserves to be in charge and who is privileged. And if you look at 1 Peter 5, he says, I'm an elder. And he says, so I appeal to the other elders. And then he talks about the chief shepherd. And he talks about them being shepherds. And he says that when you're a shepherd, do it not for the wrong reasons, not for gain, not for monetary uh, gain, not for, to get an advantage, not for power. I mean, he lists all these wrong reasons that someone would want to elevate himself, and he says that's not why you do it. Why? Because that's not why the chief shepherd did it. The chief shepherd laid down his life. And so what we experience in the body of Christ, is we have a chief shepherd and then we have other shepherds who lead us and they model that life for us. And I think it's a way of leadership and it's a way of life that's attractive to the world. It's something that would be very needed. It it may not always be understood, but we definitely need it. A few thoughts on that, just some things I want to point out. First of all, it's not an office. Ultimately, being a shepherd or an elder or an overseer, it's ultimately not an office, okay? Offices, are, are, offices grew up when the church became institutionalized after the, uh, uh, the beginning of the fourth century. And so you would install people and people would have special robes and vestments and all of this and they would have uh, certain signs and symbols of office. Shepherds don't have that. Not in the church. Leaders in the church don't have that. If you look at a shepherd in society, they don't have some, there's not some special shepherd training. You learn as you go. You learn along the way. You learn from other shepherds what it means to be a shepherd. You learn from the people who went on before you. Your father and the older men and the older women would teach. Today, where there are shepherds in the world, you know who most of the shepherds are? They're little boys and little girls who are learning from older, from, from older men and women. And then as soon as they are able to move out of shepherding, they do. And whatever clothing and everything that they wear, these aren't great symbols of office. It's not as if they hand them the shepherd's staff and say, Here is the staff of shepherding. Let all behold it. Do not touch this unless you're worthy. It's like, you're going to need a stick. Why? Because you're going to have to hit sheep and you're going to have to hit the things that are coming after them. Got it. So find a good stick. Okay. Put this robe on, this cloak. Why? Because you're going to want to stay warm at night because you're going to have to be out there trudging along with the sheep. It's practical. It's kind of like Winter Wonderland Blizzard Church, isn't it? We dress because it's cold because we need to. Shepherding's a way of life. And you know what our shepherds are doing? I mean, they, they told us last week, and I want to affirm this, they told us last week that they're often put in the place of being the corporate board. Church, that's what they said. I agree with that. Let me say what we need to say to them and what we need to affirm with them over and over again. Shepherds, teach us how to live. Teach us how to live like Christ. Now, if, 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 we, can't, if we can't ask that of our shepherds, then who are we asking it of? story of a minister that I, I, I respect a lot. 
uh, I appreciated the stories that, that went on in his life. Anyway, he's telling this story at this conference. I, I just, I've, I've never forgotten this story for ministry. He says he was on the plane. This is all very pre-9-11, okay, because this story would have gone very differently otherwise. And the grouchiest man you ever saw comes on the plane, starts berating the uh, flight attendants, Starts kicking things around. Can't find his seat. When he finally does get there, things aren't right. They ask him to move from one seat to the next. This minister is sitting there in his seat, and he says, they're going to put him right next to me. Aren't? Thank you, God. Thank you for that. Well, I really appreciate this. And sure enough, they do. They say, sir, that's your seat. So he gets up, goes over to that seat, pulls off his jacket, crumples it up, shoves it in the bin overhead, tries to close it, and you know what those bins do on a plane. They've got like a jack-in-the-box spring on them. You know, if you close them, they're like, boing, they spring back open. So he does it again, the thing opens back up, it just keeps flopping open. Finally, the, the flight attendant closes it very carefully, you know, and he sits down. The minister gets up, opens it up, takes the man's jacket, folds it, smooths it out, gets the wrinkles out of it, puts it back very nicely, and sits down knowing that he's taking a huge risk. When he sits down, the grouchy man turns to him and he says, so what do you do for a living? Now, if he says, I'm a minister, that can go any way you might imagine. It's his answer that I love. He says, I teach people how to live. And the grouchy man says, well, get to teaching. That's what we need to be able to say to our shepherds. Teach me. Paul was a shepherd, and Paul the apostle, and he said, you follow me because I'm following Christ. He wasn't claiming to be anything special, but he was saying, follow me. Why? Because I'll follow Christ. And if you're following me and I'm following Christ, then you're going to follow Christ too. He was just setting himself up as part of a chain. Shepherds then... We, if they're going to teach us, if it's going to be a way of life, then we don't want them separated from us, and we, we want to we stay close to them, and we want them to stay close to us. You know, when I was putting together slides last week for the presentation, I kept noticing something about shepherds when you went to look at real old pictures of shepherds. They're always kids. It's always, you know, even modern pictures, it's like a little boy or a little girl. And, and, and that's because who else wants this job? When I was putting these slides up there and I asked Daryl and Hank if I could tell this story and they said I could, you know, they started thinking about it because they, you know, they, they, they've seen, you know, agri stuff and all that. And they're like, you know, sheep stink, you know, they smell bad. They're, they're kind of dirty, you know. I know they look all cuddly and everything. I don't know much from sheep. We had pigs. Pigs stink. I mean, but everybody knows that, you know. You don't really want to cuddle the pigs. I know there's people that have pet pigs. I don't get it. I mean, you know, my aunt would name all the cattle, and I named the pigs. They were all named Bacon. And uh, but you know, you don't you don't care. They're they're dirty. They're dirty, and um, and, and they smell bad. Well, sheep do too. But you have to if you're going to be involved in this, you have to get in there in the muck. You have to get in there with all the dirtiness. You have to get in there with all the garbage that surround the sheep. You have to mingle in. There's no golden robes or symbols or badges. It's close to the earth. Lynn Anderson wrote a book a few years ago about leadership in the church called They Smell Like Sheep. And that would be something good for all of us to kind of uh, take a look at because 
he, he ties it in to cultures that still have that, that shepherding as part of what they do. And it becomes, again, you see, you see the, the importance of, of the metaphor is that here's what we're saying. I mean, we say, okay, they smell like sheep. Sheep stink. So what? What are you saying? You saying I stink? Okay, no. We're saying that life in this world can be rather stinky. Okay? Life in this world can be messy. But in God's family, in the church, we're not going to ignore that. We're not going to overlook that. We're not going to pretend. Because if we do, then we become like the Pharisees and Jesus accused them of being whitewashed tombs. So let's be a little honest with each other and with our shepherds this year. Let's just, let's just, let's just go ahead. I'm not asking for everybody to start divulging everything, okay? There's a point at which this becomes exhibitionism. But let's at least set up an agreement, a covenant that, you know what? We're not going to be afraid to ask for help when we need help. The first step of becoming a Christian is you have to admit that you're dirty and you need to be made clean. That's the first step. You go through the cleansing water of baptism. Why? Because you admit, I can't do this without the chief shepherd. I can't get through this life without him. And why are we so afraid to admit that? Well, I don't want to bother Mr. Jesus. I think that I would just like to get through this on my own and then maybe be a partner with him. He could really use my help. You approach Christ with that kind of attitude and he's going to say, sorry, I can't help you because you won't be helped. Humility. Humility is why the shepherd and sheep image works. Finally, here's another great thing about the, the, the shepherd image. Shepherds are going somewhere. It's not an office. Shepherds don't have an office. Oh, I know literally, you know, we could put them in a room over here and it could be their study room. They got a conference room and all that. I'm not talking about a physical structure. I'm talking about the idea that we just have somebody there as a placeholder, that we just have some, some church government position that needs to be filled, okay? It's like the days of the railroads when you had to have a caboose operator you know there were years when you didn't need a caboose but you still had somebody who just rode around in that thing why well because you had to have it that's not what a shepherd is shepherds are going somewhere they're doing something it's a metaphor for action it's a metaphor for life it's a way of life we're doing stuff and we're not just doing service projects we're doing the work of life Evangelism operates in the world. Ministry operates in the world. When you look at, at Revelation 7, and here, here's, why, here's where it's all ultimately going. Revelation 7, 17, um, which is one of the shepherd verses about Jesus. Revelation 7, 17 Jesus is pictured not only as the shepherd, but first as the lamb. It says the lamb stands in front of the throne. Now you've just taken the lamb image and the king image. And it says, it combines those and it says, and now he will be their shepherd. And you know what that shepherd's going to do? He's going to lead them to the springs of life-giving water. And God will wipe away all their tears. What you and I are doing, and this is why Winter Wonderland Blizzard Church is okay. 
because it reminds us. But here's the thing. I, don't, I hope it's not just limited to days like this. I hope we keep this in mind every Lord's Day. That what we're experiencing here, as good as we want this to be, and we're always going to do the appropriate, and we're always going to give God our best, and we're always going to encourage one another, and we're always going to build one another up, but, but no matter what we do, no matter how well we do it, guess what? This isn't all there is. There's more to come. There's a new heaven. There's a new earth. That's what we're waiting for. We're going somewhere, people. We're going somewhere. So don't settle in. You know, you can't, you can't stake out your real estate, okay, in a building like this because ultimately this stuff isn't going to be here one day because the chief shepherd's coming back and he's going to take us somewhere. We're all going to go there. We're, it's all going somewhere. And when you stop and think about where it's going, then you think about how we ought to live right now. So if we're on the way, if we're on a journey, if we're on a quest, if we're on an adventure, then we need to be getting ready for it. And we need to go a certain way and we need to do certain things. Yeah, because the chief shepherd is leading us where? He's leading us to springs of life-giving water. And so we look at our shepherds and we say, you take us to those springs of life-giving water. You, you follow that shepherd and we'll follow you. Well, those are just some reflections on sheep and shepherds and i hope that these things will inspire us to look at everything that we do in the church and in the name of god just maybe a little differently hopefully not just different but very biblically now as i said the first step to following the chief shepherd is admitting that there's some work of cleaning up that needs to be done there's a new beginning because we're going somewhere. And isn't it interesting that if it all ends with springs of life-giving water, it also begins in life-giving water where we're washed by the blood of the Lamb. If you've been baptized into Christ, then I hope you're encouraged today to live out your calling to follow the chief shepherd. But if you need encouragement, shepherds are here to encourage you. They'll be in room 100 to encourage you. If you haven't taken that first step yet, why not? If you want to talk about it, we'll talk about it. But if you're ready, we're ready. Let's stand, let's sing together, and let's encourage one another.